0: I can see it, I can see it, it's just outside. Any zombies out there?
1: Don't say that. What? That. What? That, the Z word, don't say it. Why not? Because it's ridiculous. All right. <laughs> boils and ghouls lock your doors and strap yourselves in from los angeles california this is the boo crew podcast horror news commentary reviews interviews and more with your hosts tim Timebomb, leone d'antonio lauren and trevor shan austin wilkin and rachel tejada let's
2: go Trevor here on behalf of the Boo Crew with episode number 36. Joining us are Dallin Weeks and Ryan Seaman from the band I Don't Know How, But They Found Me.
3: Last night, Darth Vader came down from Planet Vulcan and told me that if I didn't take Lorraine out, that he'd melt my brain. Yeah, well, uh, let's let's just keep this brain-melting stuff to ourselves.
2: We grab a bowl of cereal and sit by the TV in our underoos to discuss 80s horror flicks, Haunted Venues, the horror film that holds a special place in Dallin's heart, and one that disturbed him so much he can barely talk about it. The guys uncover the secrecy behind their band and take you on an exclusive look behind the scenes of their new EP, 1981 Extended Play, available now. Then, it's Boo Crew Terror Tunes with a live acoustic performance, which you can also watch on our YouTube page, TalesFromTheBooCrew.com for the link, and oh, I think that must be our DeLorean
4: ride. Who is it? Hello, this is Dallin. And this is Ryan. From a band called I Don't Know How But They Found Me, and you have found the Boo Crew. Don't get them wet. Don't expose them to bright light. And never, never feed them after midnight.
3: You've
1: reached the Boo Crew. The spirit you've tried to contact is not in service. I don't know how,
0: but they found me. We invite you to follow along.
1: And as always, when you hear this sound, turn the page. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the
2: Boo Crew in the Speakeasy Studio are two musical geniuses and longtime friends, each with their own storied histories, both together and separate, in the annals of the industry, their ideas and talent having helped shape some of the most well-known and tastemaking bands in the world. It was in 2009 that the seed of a new project was planted. They started playing shows in relative anonymity in late 2016. Their existence was steeped in mythology and cloaked in secrecy. A band from the 1980s that was on the brink of success but never could quite reach that brass ring. Their television appearances and lost recordings were recovered, dusted off, posted online, and collected in an EP titled 1981 Extended Play. They took the cover of Rock Sound in March of last year as the hottest unsigned band in the world. Have since taken the cover of Alternative Press, named one of the hottest bands of 2019 by Kerrang! Artist to watch in 2019 by Amazon Music, YouTube's Artist on the Rise, now, with Fearless Records and over 11 million song streams and over 20 million EP streams, their new single, Choke, is quickly being added to every alt-rock station in the country. These guys and their secret little project are quickly taking over the world. We are honored to welcome Dallin Weeks and Ryan Seaman, collectively known as I Don't Know How, But They
4: Found Me. Woo! Wow. (laughs) That was probably the greatest introduction to this band that I've ever heard. Wow. For a minute there, I was wondering, like, is he still talking about
3: us?
4: (laughs) Thank you for that. That was amazing. It's well-deserved. Thank you. This is insane. Thank you guys so much for being here, first of all. Absolutely. This place is magnificent.
3: (laughs) Thank you. And
4: I don't
5: use that word a lot. Wow. This is great. It was cool. We got to hang out here for an hour beforehand.
4: That's right. See everything.
5: Awesome. <laughs> Play video games Yeah, played yeah. some video games and
4: saw some some Movie props that hold a special Place in my heart, for sure Yes, you were mentioning some of the stuff for Shaun yeah. of the Dead, the, that my the wife first, loves The first movie that my wife and I ever watched Together, and it was on the night That we met, it was Shaun of the Dead So the fact that you guys have the actual costumes From that movie up there is so Just special to me I had to take some pictures, send it to my wife And she's just like, Wow! Oh,
6: she, she needs to bummed. come over and yeah,
4: see. I think she's got a kindred spirit in Lauren here because they are like obsessed with that. It's my my wife and kids would love this place, but my kids would also tear it to pieces if they were here. So I,
6: <laughs> I get that. If,
4: if they ever come around, we'll have to keep the supervision really heavy.
6: One time we had uh, it was one of my kids' birthday parties, and I left the room where the carousel was for about oh, five minutes. Oh, we heard the
4: story. Yeah, yeah, I was telling them
2: about yeah.
3: this, and oh, I man. came
6: back, and there were like fifty kids on oh, the carousel man. the curtains had got caught on the top of it and they were coming out of the wall and then the top of the carousel was Lifting off of the carousel It was like breaking in slow motion Before like my Like
2: dragging eyes. across Like this wood panels in there That we just put in And it was it, Like literally we just put the wood panels yeah. In at that time right I I Covered that, in wood. Uh, all the parents Vacated the premises Yeah they were like clearly. what
6: Not my kid Yeah what? exactly <laughs> that, was cra- that was
2: a crazy party it, it was crazier than probably Any college party That ever could have happened Remember there was like kids outside with their pants down peeing all over the oh, lawn absolutely. and my little daughter was like ah screaming
4: absolutely right? that's what a kid's birthday party is it's like a, it's a frat yes. party
5: for people under 10 like exactly. it's insane it exactly a bouncy house oh, there, so there was a bouncy down. house there too Yeah, just to that. add to the fun I yeah. think someone
2: yeah.
6: threw, threw
2: no, up in there you know, you know what was happening the bouncy house the, it, they kept blowing the power because oh, right. all the arcade machines were going and everything that we had at the, there was a taco truck thing out in the back it kept shutting down the power so the bouncy house would keep collapsing with all the kids inside of it, but it was just <laughs> chaos. There's that-
4: sometimes where I feel like I, I do more kids parties than I do uh, live performances <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely Fatherhood. those days that's that's part of the dad game I guess
6: <laughs> it is
2: so the band's concept influences and aesthetic as well as the music are incredibly cinematic and staying in the 80s for a sec as a, quite an obviously impactful time period for you guys and growing up in that era it was also an incredible time for horror and I want to talk about some of the first horror films that you guys remember seeing in the era
4: I was thinking about that on the way up because uh, I didn't get exposed to a lot of horror movies growing up. Being raised Mormon in the '80s in conservative Utah, like it was during that that whole Satanic panic thing mm. that was happening. There was nothing scarier than horror <laughs> during that time. <laughs> if you had or metal, <laughs> if, you had, if you had parents that were Christian during that time, like everything was practically considered satanic, but especially horror movies. So I was definitely always forbidden from watching anything like that. So. It made it especially exciting when when in chance I got. I remember one time in particular, a cousin of mine got his hands on a copy of Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Mm. And it was like he had found a kilo of cocaine. (laughs) There was this whole secret operation between like five or six of us, uh, you know, cousins and friends that were going to put this plan together how we can go watch nightmare on elm street 2. we hadn't seen the first one so we would have been completely lost i think we got a good like three minutes into it before a mom caught wind of our plan <laughs> and brought the whole thing crashing down see that's the best
2: way to watch a horror film yeah. I'm,
4: I'm certain that that vhs tape ended up in a dumpster or something <laughs> so i didn't get to see nightmare on elm street 2 until maybe like uh seven or eight years ago wow have
0: you seen them all now
4: i've seen them all yeah (laughs) i don't know if i've seen all of the original cuts some of them i've seen on tv and i think most of the horror movies that i've seen have been like edited for tv anytime more i've got to go back and revisit some of these classics that i never got to see or i saw them but the the tv version oh wow this is a lot more blood and (laughs) Movies. <laughs> 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 <That I>
2: remember.
5: <laughs> what about you, Ryan? What are some of the first ones you remember seeing? I just remember being really scared of uh, the movie Gremlins. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, was, wow. I was really, I was really young though. And then like when the bad Gremlin came out, trying to go after a little gizmo, you're like, oh man, so scared And then this other time, I was watching, um, <laughs> I was watching Pee-wee Herman's Big Adventure. I wouldn't call that a horror movie, but there's this part in the movie where Pee-wee's having a dream, and the devil's like, Wah! like just going. Well, they're bringing the bike and the well. The clowns, to be, to be that clear, scared that's the uh, crap uh, out of me. That's his neighbor, Francis. Right, France, yes, devil, who yes, who yes. Was, <laughs> Francis. Yes, yes. At the, the time, bike. you know, being like four years old or whatever, you know, your brain doesn't connect. But, but dude, that. dude, the large, but that mar- was so large margin. Oh mar- yeah, large margin set me. That was
3: horrifying. Absolutely.
5: They go in the bar. Everybody's like. (laughs) Looking up at, like they had just seen a ghost. But that was really right. common with movies and TV shows and,
4: and things for kids back then. Even yeah. Sesame Street had some really creepy stuff in it. Like mm-hmm. the early Jim Henson stuff. He did some spooky stuff, man. Yeah. I love it, though.
2: The other 80s movies for kids, like The Goonies, Monster Squad. What, what was Monster that? Squad. The Gate, right? The gate? Oh, I like,
4: remember. No one ever remembers The Gate, man. Yeah. I love The It's gate. great. <laughs> awesome. That but... was another one that I, I had watched in secret because I think uh, we had cable for maybe like three or four years when I was like eight or nine. So after everyone went... Went to bed. I would wake, yeah. sneak down to the TV, and, and watch a scary movie. And the gate was always, always on. Yeah, and it scared the crap out of me. But I, I still love that one. To that, it wasn't like like Steven Dorf. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it's right. Yeah, yeah. When he was like, <laughs> oh man, they opened yeah. the gate <laughs> to hell yeah, yeah. by playing or... a metal record backwards. See yeah,
3: exactly <laughs> like
2: everything exactly that All you of weren't that supposed to. panic, <laughs> panic <laughs> stuff <laughs> in movie form.
4: You were drawn to it. Oh
2: yeah, <laughs> it was fascinating. What do you think about that time period? made all the movies in that time period, like sci-fi as well, so memorable and different. Do you think there was like a a secret sauce or is it... Just simply nostalgia to look back and go, oh, I remember being a kid. Or is there something about the way they did stuff
5: back then? Yeah, that I was think, better. I think it, the way it was back then was, to me, it was just a little bit better because now everybody's so used to seeing 3D and not 3D. CGI, every, yeah, and, yeah, CGI mm, and right. just all the, Practical all the effects, effects stuff can look so much uh, right. better than CGI a lot yeah. of the time. But it, like if when you see well. when I saw like the Terminator or Terminator Two, that blew my mind. it's yeah. Like, oh my gosh, he got shot in the head and then it just melted back up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> starts <just right>. walking. <laughs> kind of machine is built like this
3: It's nuts.
5: <laughs> you know being a kid seeing that uh, in the movie theater but yeah
4: i don't know it's so, just a special time i think after yeah. the the 60s and 70s were done people kind of loosened their ties a little bit more and being creative was it was like the golden age i, th- I think of creativity when it came to movies music uh, media thing and maybe that is a bit of nostalgia talking but um pretty special time i think because there's obviously no internet back then So whenever you discovered something that was new to you, it became a lot more important because you had to put footwork in to go out and find it. And when you Mm -hmm. came across it, it registered a little bit with you more. Resonated is the word. Sure. But you had to work for it. Exactly. Exactly. If you wanted to find out about a band or a movie, you had to go to a library or a bookstore and buy a magazine and do some reading and... Hope that there'd be a little
5: tiny article on your favorite band. (laughs) Just like cherish it, right? Go go to the listening station. Yeah. (laughs) Blockbuster music oh, we got the top, like, 20, you know, favorite albums of right. the store employees. <laughs> go, and then you Go like, try Whoa. to talk
4: to the guy at the movie rental place. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. when you're 10 is, like, <clears throat> the coolest guy ever. But when you're 25 is probably just, like, some
5: 17-year-old movie Right. <laughs> <laughs> Today, there's just like a lot of like remakes, and back then, I feel like there's more originality. Yeah, mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it's
0: funny that you know we have a big resurgence right now of the '80s with things like uh, Stranger Things mm. and uh, It. Mm-hmm. Stranger Things is made by these people who these these brothers that weren't even alive back then. It's really fascinating that they weren't around like we were. Yeah, right. Who yeah, experienced it. In that yeah, show, yeah. <clears throat> but they so, put their heart and soul into the show and it kind of feels like, man, I'm watching it and I'm like, I remember that.
4: Well, that's something you know? that I wanted to be really important for, for us because like musically speaking, I don't feel like we're very revivalist. You know, we're not trying to recreate sounds and Stuff from that time period, right. but uh, the aesthetics and then the, that feeling that I'm talking about of discovering something new back then is uh, what we're trying to capture more than anything else. I think
2: there was kind of like a necessity of invention back then due to yeah. like the lack of technology and the lack of budgets, Absolutely. so people would innovate. Yeah, mm-hmm. and now a lot of that spirit tends to—I don't know—it's—it's it's not people, as prevalent as it maybe was. Maybe people
4: rest on their laurels a little bit because technology makes things so much easier so yeah. people don't put that
5: effort in anymore i don't know i also feel like commercials were really exciting back then too like if there's a new oh, game coming were? out oh, yeah. or like a new well everything was an event you know, right yeah like everything but commercials
4: are also probably weren't as good as they are now but they were definitely more important and more event right and the songs were way better too in commercials back then.
5: <laughs> yes they were, the songs were better and they memorable were. three more months memorable.
4: ago i remembered just out of the blue a tootsie roll jingle from <laughs> a commercial from it had to be made like in the late 70s but it replayed for years and years and years and i remembered it from front to back and i called my brother up and said do you remember this and then i sang in the whole jingle and he's like no i don't remember it, to-
3: <laughs> <laughs> sing it, sing
4: it. <laughs> i'll sum it up. i'll get to the hook part <laughs> yeah. whatever it is i think i see becomes Uh, a a tootsie roll to me yeah yeah
2: (laughs) so the namesake of the band obviously doc brown's iconic line delivered to marty mcfly's camcorder when the terrorists come to the look for their plutonium at the twin pines mall what about that movie and that line affected you do you remember the first time you saw
4: that movie you guys the first time i saw it i think i was uh seven or eight years old. And it struck me as being something really special at that time. And it always stayed with me growing up when I became a teenager and found other friends that this movie had the same effect on. It, it became this thing that sort of bonded us all together. And that line in particular always really stuck with me, like as an interesting sounding phrase. And I wanted to use it for something like a song title or an album title or something, but nothing ever came up that seemed appropriate to use it for. So when you reference 2009, I think those was the first first time I tweeted it out just as a a tweet, because it's always just been sitting in the back of my head as something that I really like. Right, (laughs) right, right. But the idea for the band didn't really start till maybe 2016 Mm -hmm. or so. But uh, when we started playing in secret, like you mentioned, it it sort of seemed to fit what we were doing. So I'm like, oh, here's that opportunity to use this (laughs) ridiculously long title for something. Mm. So why all the secrecy? Well, we both came from two different bands that had, you know, uh, success on their own co-opting that would have been an easy thing to do, for sure. Announce to all the fans that already existed, say, hey, come check out this new thing that we're doing, but it would have felt really disingenuous to do it that way as well. Our biggest concern
5: was you know, seeing if this music that we were making could stand on its own two feet. So We just wanted to start, like any other band would start off playing a club that no one's ever heard of without any kind of titles or associations with anything. So,
4: So we would book a show under this band name and not tell anyone what we were doing and just show up and play for a bunch of strangers that didn't know or didn't care what band we were from just to see if we could get uh, their attention just based on the music and what we were doing and as that started to work and to snowball you know, fans from our other bands would find out and and we knew that would happen so our policy our official policy was to just deny everything (laughs) right (laughs) so I I don't know what you're talking about no that's not
3: us
4: (laughs) and we did that for a good seven or eight months I think would play in secret and wouldn't ever announce when we were doing a show
5: and people yeah we just wanted to have fun Yeah. yeah
0: so going back to those early Performances. Did you guys find that it's like we had to get a tweak it every night? You're like, ah, that song works. That one doesn't. a
5: a learning curve
4: for sure. Okay. Especially for me. I think Ryan's always, you know, comfortable being on a a drum set. He's (laughs) definitely got a little bit more of a spotlight on him in this band since there's only two of us. Right. But uh, me finding that front man role again took me a minute to remember how to do that because I'd been playing in the background in Panic for eight or nine years, almost a decade since I'd taken on that role. So it took me a minute to remember how to do it. And I'm still getting more comfortable in it bit by bit as we do shows, enjoying it more and more. So life's good.
0: Yeah. It sounds like you guys are having fun, man.
4: Oh yeah. That's the the main ethos of the band too, Mm -hmm. is to first and foremost, this is supposed to be fun. If you're not having fun, then you need to change something.
2: What was the dynamic of those early live performances as far as setup? Were you guys playing the tracks and live drums playing along with the tracks and Mm -hmm. you playing bass and singing? basically
4: yeah i think it was a matter of finding a a balance between those two things because we definitely didn't want to be a karaoke band but we wanted it to keep it simple and inexpensive to do as well since Mm. we were both in other bands at the time so keeping it a two-piece made sense i think it took about three or four shows t- before we started to dial in that balance between what we're doing live and what's backing us up on the tracks which we also you know record and play ourselves right. anyway dialing that in took a, a minute everything took a minute really mm. because this whole project from the onset of it has been DIY, figured out on your own. And up until recently, we haven't had a team behind us to help us figure out how to do this. So
0: It's amazing as a twosome, you guys make it sound so huge.
4: Well, that's a goal for me because well, like, when you're in the studios, there's no limit to what you can do. And I'm sort of a throw everything in the kitchen sink at it. type guy when i'm in the studio the challenge for us becomes you know stripping that stuff back so that when we play them live it doesn't end up being a karaoke show like it like i said it doesn't sound fabricated
2: yeah Yeah. back to the cinema
4: for a sec have you guys visited any of the back to the future filming locations oh yeah just the universal studios tour that's about it when i was 15 i think
2: wow yeah there's actually a lot of key sets like right around this house. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. there's one in Burbank. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple in Burbank, dude. There's um, the, Burger King, the, the, brown the, burger King.
4: Man, the Brown Mansions up around there. Bur- Doc Brown Mansion is the
2: Gamble House in yeah. Pasadena. Yeah, the Burger,
5: was,
4: uh, the Twin Pines Mall.
2: Oh, cool. That's a they there, like maybe a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Down the street on Victory here in Burbank is the Burger King restaurant where that was Doc Brown's garage yeah, where Marty. Yeah, yeah. And he passes the diner there, and the sign's still there. Lancers is on the. Corner. what's that place the rec center where the kids play basketball down the street on glen oaks Oh, McKay- um, oh is, it, is that the...
6: Birmingham Parks?
2: No, it's... uh. Is, blah, that blah, blah, the band, is that the
4: band audition? Yes! yes. Oh, yeah, so that's literally, probably pass it on the way. <laughs> the Pinheads themselves performed their version of The Power of Love.
0: You guys are just too damn let out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> One thing that was also part of that era, joining fan clubs, getting premium, whether it be your premium seven-inch singles, releases from your favorite bands, you collect box tops and order away for shit. The merchandising and collecting that became introduced in the 60s and 70s was like on fleek in the mm-hmm. 80s. Mm-hmm. Did it turn you guys, are you guys collectors at all? Ninja Turtles. Ninja well, Turtles. Oh, wow.
4: Masters of the Universe first. That was wow. My first uh, when I was five or six, I got into Masters of the Universe. He-Man or Skeletor? Oh. He-Man. But, <laughs> let me clarify, it was a uh, Faker. He was a blue He-Man, a minion of Skeletor. Oh, yeah, yeah. He he looked like He-Man, but his skin was blue, so he was evil. Right. And that thing never left my hand. (laughs) (laughs) My parents said, like, if, you know, they were getting me dressed and they had to switch it from one hand to the other and I would scream... from the time that it took to get between hands were you lucky enough to get castle Skull? i had you, castle you had, Grayskull. oh you bastard i had a good little collection going and then ninja turtles came along and that sort of took over i had an awesome awesome ninja turtle collection and i i kept a few of them over the years i i, I got rid of a lot of it but uh, i kept like that core dozen or so of the <laughs> figures so one day i want to build like a little shelf or something in an office and just you know, set them up and keep them around. Yeah.
5: Right. <laughs> any I gave all that stuff away. I had the Ninja Turtle
4: mobile.
0: Oh, someone's I was good. Yeah. <laughs>
5: <laughs> it, was all, it was all about Ninja Turtles And I used to I used to watch WWF Yeah Hell yeah the Time I collected all those figures though Really Watch Ninja man figure?
2: Ultimate Warrior Did you have, the ring? Oh, yeah. did have the ring The ring playset, Like to actually have them I Wrestle did. on I did have that Wow yep. Man I missed out I had like a couple <laughs> figures I had like My parents would give me A billy gym Like the shittiest
3: <laughs> <laughs> The shittiest one
2: And no ring
3: Dude uh, <laughs> the, Like off I came Kmart Whatever
4: Yeah yeah totally. Every thrift store Had that figure
3: in. <laughs> Right Hillbilly
4: Jim, like right? Year, for like a decade. <laughs> Hillbilly Jim. Bits of the rubber
2: were like chucked yeah, out of yeah. it. He had overalls on, I think. Yeah. yeah, he had his overalls like part of the figure. You couldn't take them off. <laughs> like rubber overalls. <laughs>
3: Fuck. If, if that guy is still like alive
5: and kicking, and he hears this, he's gonna be real sick. <laughs> oh, do you guys remember Micro Machines? Remember oh that? yeah. Yes. Guy yeah. Yeah. speak really fast. The, the, the commercial, commercial. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think all the commercials back there, but yeah, like Crossfire. Mm. Yeah. yeah crossfire. Yeah. yeah. They don't make toy commercials like that no. anymore. Oh, no, they don't. And, and those were the days. Yep. You know? They really were. They really
2: were. I wanted to ask about what was so important to you in putting together this musical project to make it, talking just about what we're talking about, an immersive experience with not only deliciously vintage-looking videos, but the artwork and the imagery and the mythos surrounding the band, the things people can go discover. There's so much more to it than the music.
4: I've always just thought that anytime uh, an artist makes something I guess you could call it world building. Like the Beatles did it with Sgt. Pepper. And, and bands have done it, you know, since then, you know, creating fictitious worlds that fans can consume this music in, but also let their imaginations wander around in it a little bit. I've always really enjoyed that, and I've never really done it before. So I, I wanted to take a swing at it and see if we could do something like that coming out of the gate and presenting this band in that way as a a lost act from 30 something years ago, you know, it resonated with me in a way because we had our own band, like maybe 10 years ago that we tried to make happen. And that next step never really came. So I related to the storyline a little bit already because of that. I've found a lot of my favorite bands through the internet that way. Bands that I never would have known they existed. Like, um, Sparks is a great example. Huge, huge influence for me. Only discovered them maybe like five years ago because of YouTube and old live TV performances on like Top of the Pops or Old Grey Whistle Test and things like that. So I I became really uh, infatuated with that look and the feel of those. So I I thought it'd be really cool to present this band in, in that way as some old thing that just got forgotten about by time and rediscovered with... New technology.
0: Did you guys ever go back in time and discover work?
4: Yeah. One of the videos that we did recently uh, for a song called Choke was based off of an old Italian pop show called Disco Ring and Kraftwerk did an appearance on the show. Their appearance on that show was sort of what we we're emulating when we did that music video.
0: Oh, that's cool.
4: Yeah. They did a, an Italian language version of Pocket Calculator. Actually my favorite version, but you can't find the Italian version anywhere except for YouTube now. If you want to listen to the Italian version, you got to go online and see that tv performance
0: people dancing well they're doing you know
4: their craft work dancing where right. they're moving from the waist up but that's awesome <laughs> right. you know
1: how involved are you in the videos
4: very involved everything that we're doing is 100 percent coming from us uh creatively the aesthetics and the artwork and and everything and, and sometimes we'll have a you know artists help us out like when it came to the the EP artwork yeah you know, i wanted to get that feeling of like uh, old instruction manuals that yeah. existed yeah. when we were kids and stuff for like VCRs or a lot of the artwork for that stuff was really corporate but had a great look and design to it. I wanted to emulate that. So we had an artist collaborate with us on the EPR work. Ended up being really great, I think. Oh yeah, it looks insane. I'm really happy
2: with with it. Talk a bit about the music. One of the many things that I find compelling about it is that it's completely unexpected and does one thing that a lot of contemporary music doesn't manage to do in that it very much doesn't undermine the listener, but challenges the listener as well. And I was wondering if you could talk about how your music is designed to have that in its fabric.
4: Well, that's cool to hear you say that because that's one of my main uh, goals as a songwriter is to challenge people. And and the the reason... For me is that all of my favorite stuff, musically speaking, is stuff that challenged me. Like my favorite record of all time is Elvis Costello's This Year's Model. And the first time that I listened to that, I think I was 23. I just took a chance and bought it because a lot of the bands that I liked would always reference Elvis Costello as an influence. So I bought that record and I took it home. And the first time I listened to it, I was like, man, what is this? This is so weird. I've never heard a record like this before. And the second time I listened to it, I was like, okay, I, I like this a lot. And then the third time that I listened to it, I was in love and it was my favorite record and it still is. And that's been the case with a lot of my favorite stuff. Upon first interaction with it, you get that question like, what is this? That challenge is laid down. And if, if you kind of power through that and listen to it more, it can become your favorite stuff. And so I, I wanted to, to try and do that. <clears throat> with people to challenge people that's the goal those curveballs that you throw in the
2: songs that's what makes people get obsessed over bands and music right is those curveballs in that that what is this I haven't heard anything like it that triggers the obsession right
4: it's my hope that I can recreate that same feeling that I got when I listened to this year's model or Weezer's Pinkerton for the first time I hope that people at least some people out there when they listen to this for the first time will have that same reaction And hopefully if they do and keep spinning it, give it a second chance, maybe it will become their favorite record. Or if not, at the very least, I hope that it may open a door to music that they didn't know existed. Otherwise,
6: is there a favorite venue that you guys have played or anything <laughs> spooky happen on tour? You
2: love the paranormal questions.
6: Yes, <laughs> Certain bands think, will be like, I played in this really creepy place. Well, you probably I hear
5: about the rave. Yeah, I was one. just about to say that. Yeah, The rave in Milwaukee. Have you heard any ghost stories
6: about the rave? I haven't heard ghost stories, but I've heard of
5: oh, the venue. Do, yeah. do you yeah. have
4: it's any so big. Any of your own? Because I have one. Or, oh, do oh. tell! Yeah, you tell you <laughs> yours, and I'll tell mine. It's it's, it's a, sort of third person though, but I'll mm-hmm. I'll share it with you because I've played that venue a lot. Apparently, it's the most haunted venue like in America. Oh wow! Uh, the Eagles Ballroom in Milwaukee, also known as the Rave. Apparently, it was built in what before the 1920s right yeah something like that it's it's really been around for a long time (laughs) you always hear stories about the rave and you never know if any of them are true but Mm -hmm. the things that i've heard is that um at one point during world war ii had the nazis invaded america this would have been their northeast home base or something oh wow this particular building jeez and there's like a pool down in the basement and a boiler room and it's Perfect for a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently it's super haunted and the staff there, everyone there has their own story. But the owner, the last time that, that we were there, mm-hmm. shared with us this uh, video. They turn their lights off at the end of every night and they lock the place up. But every morning when they come back, there would be one light in a hallway, just the one that would be on. And this would happen every day. They finally decided to set up a camera. Yeah. Good idea. See what was going on. They showed us the actual video of it. You don't see anything happen. The lights are off. You can still sort of see what's happening because of the emergency fire lights and the exit signs and things like that. And it's just a recording of this hallway. They stop it at the point where the light switches on and it's completely silent for a good 10, 20 seconds. And then you hear this loud bang happen. And then, like two or three seconds after that, that hallway light just comes on. Nothing is seen on the video, but except for, you know, that light like, coming on. But they still don't know what's doing it or, or how it's doing it. The other story that I have about the rave, and forgive me if I'm talking too much. No, because
3: I, I, <laughs> I, I, right? I
4: know I know that Ryan has played there, too. But uh, this was back when I was playing with Panic. They gave us a tour of the the sub-basement where the boiler room is. And there's this chair down there that you're not supposed to touch because it belongs to... One of, one of the ghosts there that yeah. has a name, you know, the the staff and the owners, they have a name for this one particular ghost. And you don't touch his chair. If you do, bad stuff is going to happen during your set. Whoa. What? And this happens all the time. So we're like, okay, yeah, we're that's a fun story. We're not going to touch the chair. When we played our set that night, 30 seconds into the first song, power cuts on the stage. And we're like, what's going on? It took him a good like five or six minutes to get everything back up and running so we could come back out and start our set again. We didn't find out until after the set was done that Panic's big stupid security guard touched the chair
3: oh, oh. <laughs> when no
0: one was looking no. <laughs> and he didn't tell
4: anybody until afterwards
0: oh, oh. so we were all pissed off <laughs> stupid freaking moron <laughs> that to touched the chair
5: <laughs> so that's, that's another uh, uh, yeah. the rave story oh that's a good story that is good <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any Mine doesn't top yours Not even close to <laughs> I No I will say though Like one of my first tours I ever did Going through there The whole tour package Like hung out and stuff And uh, we're like Let's go exploring We're like okay So we went up like To the main The this actual The ball- rave too yeah, yeah yeah This is like at the, in the. It's uh, always the rave <clears> Yeah it's the big <laughs> ballroom yeah. This place is gigantic It has like Three or four <clears throat> stages in it And wow Right it's, yeah, it's, it they're, sounds they're like insane. Don't go upstairs It's hot We're like yeah 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 and so, um God, I forget who I was with. I think it was like Yellow Card or something like that. It's like on on a tour. And we went through um there's this like this uh padded door. Not padded, but this like heavy steel door and it was like kinda creaked open. We're like, let's let's go in here. So all of us were kind of like there's this wood beam we we're walking across and basically we we're up like where they project the spotlights yeah. onto the stage. Oh, like, Is yeah. that like it's the, 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 main, yeah. the main ballroom with the dome? Yes, yeah, so we oh, went like man. up. We went like up wow. and like and it's we just felt this, like, chill. It was like, okay, we shouldn't be. We just kept getting scared. We had, like, a lighter. We were, like, walking. And everybody's like, oh, okay, maybe we should just turn around and go back. Like, the, the further we went, the scarier, the darker. It, <laughs> oh, it was like, okay, we, we, we should just stop doing this. You know? And then we, uh, on the stage, there's, like, a little uh, spiral staircase. And we went up onto the roof. We were able to just have roof access. I don't know if that's allowed, but we did it. <laughs> so, yeah. Basically, the door slammed behind us. With oh. nobody, nobody there. And we had to call. You know, somebody with a cell phone, like, hey, we got stuck on the roof of the rave. Can you come? <laughs> like, how'd you do that? We're like, well, don't worry about that. Just, uh, just come see, help that, us get out of this thing. It's it's do, you know, sometimes thing, if you have downtime, yeah. you get bored and you yeah. want to go, you want to go do stuff. But you you want to be like a kid. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> Crazy. I wanted to talk a little bit
2: about the creation of the EP. Mm-hmm. I wanted to highlight your skills, Dallin, as a amazing melody writer. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, it's something that just strikes you right off the top when you hear your music. And I think people either get melody or they don't. Mm-hmm. And you kind of bring to mind people like, not to kiss ass or anything, but people like Freddie Mercury or someone who's very often overlooked, Andy Sturmer from the band Jellyfish. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Dude, I love Jellyfish. to <laughs> I mean, dude, I'm a hardcore Jellyfish freak,
4: too. <laughs> dude, Back but, in the MySpace days, too, when we were doing our band, The Brobecks, uh, Out of the Blue... He uh, stumbled across our band page emailed us. And
2: he's an elusive
4: dude, too. Yeah. And and complimenting what we were doing. And I was I was so blown away. I don't even know if I responded with a thank you because I was so just like awestruck about it. Like this guy is complimenting what I'm doing. Like, that's insane.
2: For him, uh, seriously, for him even to reach out like to anybody because he's like he writes I, I a lot of music. I don't really
4: but, know much uh, about what he, when what he's up to now. Yeah, so. there's
2: absolutely like no pictures of him from the past. You know, really since the jellyfish days, he's really off the radar. But such a good band. Uh, he's, and, oh, he's god, and he's just he's a genius. And now he became like the Svengali of a Japanese pop group. Oh, really? Called Puffy Yami Yumi. So it was these two girls from Japan, and he wrote. All their songs Wow They would sound Like brand new Jellyfish albums Like something in Japanese wow. <laughs> It's so good So they have a whole World of material And he wrote Almost every song And then after that They did a cartoon series So he went into animation Started scoring All their cartoon shows And then he got Into the world of Disney He does a lot of the music For the new Scooby-Doo cartoons uh, And I, I love hearing yeah.
4: stories Like that Because it, it's nice To know that There can be life After pop music For people who are That talented And, you know, uh, same case with like Danny Elfman, who does so many scores. Right. Oingo Bongo is another huge influence for what we're doing, too. Mm. So it's it's always really cool to hear about guys graduating to that realm of making music.
2: Right. But again, I think it's a trait of really good melody writers. And that's that's a
4: gift. How much do you labor on the melodies? I never try to force it because I think if you're trying to force a, a melody, then there's probably something wrong there. I could be wrong, but I think the Beatles, Lennon and McCartney, had a, a policy or you know a, a practice that they would try to keep amongst themselves where if they had a melody or an idea, they'd work on it for the day, but don't write anything down yet. And if you still remember it the next day, then it's probably worth remembering. So I, I, I try to follow that method. A little bit and if stuff starts to hit a brick wall or become forced i'll either take it to a friend or just sit on it for a while until lightning strikes and those gears start turning again
0: speaking of you work with um, tim anderson mm. from yeah, I'm Robot. yeah
4: i'm a huge i'm a robot <clears> fan and i actually flew here in my i'm a robot t-shirt one of the most underrated bands of the first decade of the 2000s i think i probably saw them live like eight different times i was such a fanboy so to be able to, to work with Tim on a song was like really, really cool. I did have to tell him a story of uh, the time that I had met him back in the day when I was like a super fan. And it was kind of a bit of a punisher when I, when I met them. I don't think that he he remembered me at all, which I'm kind of grateful for. <laughs> but I did have to tell him that story after the day was done and we'd, we'd gotten that work done. I'm, I'm like, man, before I leave, I, I got to tell you, man, I'm a huge fan of I'm a robot. And I met you this time and you... You hooked me up with tickets to your show. And like, it was such a nice and memorable moment for me. But yeah, pretty special to be able to, to work with someone like that, that I really admire their work.
2: Have you ever heard that project he produced out of his record label, Werewolf Heart Records, Dead Man's Bones?
4: Yeah. They're yeah, the, so
2: the, good. The Ryan Gosling. Yes. The Ryan Gosling Man, band. Yeah. I, I did hear that. It it's really good. cool. It's kind of like arcade fire, but with monsters. Yeah. And it has a children's, it's backed by a children's oh. choir. Mm-hmm. And it's Ryan Gosling Very
4: Halloweeny, Yeah yep. But fun
2: Super, fun. super good Yeah, they made like one album And yeah, Tim produced it And then I think he, he used to play With the band live When they would they I would didn't do know it. that They'd bring them out in coffins And they would come out And <laughs> do their thing Yeah Nice That's cool Just a little bit about The creation of the album A lot of the sounds And things that you guys got How deep did that rabbit hole go? Did you go and get Vintage synthesizers
4: A lot of those plugins and emulators Or how authentic well, really, Is that stuff? When and, it came to The production There was really only two rules that we went in with. Knowing that we would break those rules whenever necessity demanded to but uh, they were to whenever we needed a synth to make sure it was a vintage analog one and no guitars was the other rule we knew that we would break them of of course because you know vintage working synths are hard to come by sometimes (laughs) especially when you're on a budget of exactly (laughs) zero
3: dollars
4: but uh, the other reason for having no guitar was of course because we were playing as a bass and and drum thing but uh, my favorite record that i mentioned earlier Elvis Costello's This Year's Model, that record in particular, a guitar is sort of a supporting instrument. It's not at the forefront like it is on every other record that ever existed, ever. But when you go back and listen to that record, it's lower in the mix and it's supporting the keys and the bass and the drums. Such a fascinating choice for me, even today. So I I wanted to try to chase that a little bit. So, especially because it seemed a little bit more appropriate for what we do live.
2: Was there something that was extra hard to find? Did you guys have to go, like, get a Casio SK-1 from a thrift store or yeah, anything like no, that? I've, or was that I've, all?
4: I've got a few uh, vintage toys that I've kept for years, and there, there's one in particular probably does most of the heavy lifting synth-wise, is a, a vintage Sequential Circuit 6-track. I've had for a few years. That's probably like a good 75% of any of the synths that are on the EP. And then the rest are probably like this uh, Juno that uh, our producer Jason Hill had. Jason Hill was in a band called Louis XIV to so that. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, I remember. Of. Oh, yeah. He brought, he brought a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, like, out he's to, got out a lot of, of vintage like, equipment. And this Juno that we used, it turns out that it was the actual one that was used to make the soundtrack for Donnie Darko.
3: Oh, oh wow. wow. That,
4: that was cool. I love when instruments like have stories behind them, too. So that uh, Donnie Darko synth is also on our record as well.
0: So.
2: That's really cool.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, man, your EP is killer, man. I gotta say, well, thank you. It's thank fantastic. You. I gotta ask because not only as a fan, but the fans want to know when is the LP coming out. That's an excellent question. That is an excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> that we can't answer. <laughs>
4: <laughs> See, we we want it out just as badly as they do, but. Um, those things always end up taking longer than you want them to. It's you can't, a, it's you can't rush art. Yeah. And it, we I don't think we, we didn't really rush the EP. Yeah, we don't want to so. put anything out that's not fully realized, you know, but we also definitely don't want to drag our feet. You know, it's something that's a priority for us, but right, right now we're, Promoting this EP and
5: uh, "Choke" as a single. And we still have a lot of America to see. Yeah, we, <laughs> there have, yeah. there's been people we got who a haven't lot seen of shows yet, to play so. still. So. Yeah.
4: <laughs> we're aiming, you know, for something really soon. Hopefully, that ends up being this year. But I, I wish I could guarantee that, but I, I can't, unfortunately. You
0: know, what you guys gotta do is book a secret show. Right by that Hollywood Highland behind you know the complex where they did the Enchanted Under the Sea Dance?
4: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. from Back, the future, Back
2: yeah, to the Future. Yeah, the the church is there yeah. in the basement yeah. of the I'm church they did. Already. Yeah, they did the Enchantment Under the Sea. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to do that. That'd be so fun. You guys going to get your own DeLorean too and cruise
4: in. Yeah. I would definitely wear that George McFly tux for sure. <laughs>
6: I just wanted to ask, are there any new horror movies that you've seen that you could recommend or anything that really excited the, you? The
4: newest ones that I've seen, we were talking a little bit about uh, Hereditary, which wow. I yes. saw on a plane, unfortunately, <laughs> wow. on, a little, on a little four inch screen. Have you seen that? Uh, but is seen Charlie's
0: bright.
4: head? N- uh, no. It's right behind uh, you. Turn around. Mm, I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do it's that. It's literally on top of the piano. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> yeah, a, that is to anyone who's seen that movie, you know.
6: Yeah. Yeah.
4: You know how intense and disturbing it is, so I'm not going to be turning around. <laughs> where can people see you next
5: all that fun stuff who knows we're, yeah like, i think we're doing shaky knees is the next thing yeah in america we're playing with uh beck and uh incubus yeah cool nice in the meantime think tears for fears is on that too in the meantime um, we
4: got a bunch of you know acoustic stuff here and there that we're doing for radio stations and promos but uh, i think that's the next like big thing that we yeah. have on the mm-hmm. horizon
5: oh so we're gonna go, to, go cool. to the uk for a uh, slam dunk fest well when's that uh it's end of may mm-hmm. okay That'd be fun to go back across the pond.
2: Cool, guys. All right. Well, thank you so much. We're going to hear some music here in a little bit. We're going to get the studio set up for that. You guys are awesome. Well, thank you for man. having band's us. The band's
4: amazing. The album's amazing. Yes, go get it, everybody. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, our, our moms and dads came. That's so nice.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: to those among
1: you who are easily frightened, we suggest you turn away now. To those of you who think they can take it, we say...
3: Hail, payment.
1: We broadcast over 666 kilohertz on the AM band. Movie scores, soundtracks, and bands—it's killer tracks on Terror Tunes music. Is my life.
2: Live musical performances conjured up in the Speakeasy studio. Head over to Crew.com where you can watch videos of the performance and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube page to not miss out on any more of these. Playing two songs for you, Social Climb and Choke from the new EP 1981 Extended Play available everywhere now. It's Boo Crew Tunes and I don't know how, but they found me.
3: some hearts now, tear them out, filing for amusements with the crowd. But be advised, participation is required, doing things not typically allowed. Feels like we're having a good time, it's true. A wonderfully good time When I'm with you When I'm with you Club! Smile while you suffocate and die And that would be just fine And what a lovely time That it would surely be So bite your tongue and choke yourself
2: Podcast episode 36. Special thanks to our guest, I don't know how, but they found me. Follow them at IDKHow, at Dallin Weeks, and at Ryan Seaman on Instagram and Twitter, and get their new EP, 1981 Extended Play, wherever you get music. This episode dedicated to Leatherface, aka Winky Shan. We will miss you and love you always. Till next time, Trevor for the Boo Crew saying, "See you on the other side."
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at talesfromtheboocrew. dot com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand,
3: chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation.
0: Bye.